Fualsha, 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 Akarjagil. Welcome to episode 86 of the Rebel Matters podcast. This week's guest on the show is Kate McGrew, who is a member of an organisation called Sway, the Sex Workers Alliance of Ireland. And as I was listening back to the chat that we had, it dawned on me that this is quite an important episode in terms of encapsulating what the Rebel Matters podcast is about. As many of the regular listeners of the show will know, Vicky Langan recently came on as the producer of the podcast a few months ago. And not only has that allowed us to spend more time producing the shows and increasing the reach and the audience of the podcast, as well as spending more time developing a closer relationship with the patrons of the show on Patreon, um, it's also given us the opportunity to sit down and talk in quite a lot of detail about what we want the podcast to be about and every time that comes up in the conversation the one recurring theme is that we would love for the Rebel Matters podcast to be a platform for people who don't usually get to tell their stories or don't get the exposure that they maybe deserve Um, people from marginalised communities or people who have been discriminated against or maybe just people who've got a really good story to tell that that hasn't really been heard in the mainstream media and I think that that's what's going on here in this episode with Kate. Kate talks about her own personal story and also discusses the current laws around sex work in Ireland as well as discussing human trafficking and For me personally, I was going into this interview quite blind and not knowing an awful lot about the sex workers industry in Ireland, apart from the bit of research that we had done before the chat with Kate. And I have to say that the chat with Kate was a real eye-opener and it was informative and it sort of definitely, it definitely built my awareness uh, around the sex work industry in Ireland. If there was one main take-home point from the chat with Kate for me it was that sex workers in Ireland should be afforded a fair level of protection and at the minute the law doesn't really afford that protection to them anyway Kate does a really good job of explaining the various sort of elements at play there so uh, I think he's really going to enjoy this episode it has been a pretty busy week down here in Cork between working on getting Ackley off the ground again after the second lockdown and I was also involved in a live stream from the Cork Opera House with Steve Cooney and Eolo Leonard on the Sunday just gone past there. Marlene Enright and Marin Ye and Eva Blake were also playing and it was really nice to be a part of a live stream and more importantly it was class to be a part of a sort of musical production like that that was going out to people because when I was sitting there watching the artists on stage in the opera house from the side of the stage in between getting my next wee bit of uh, speaking ready to introduce the next act I was just thinking how powerful music is and in times like we find ourselves in at the minute when connection with other people and connections with ourselves are so important and I just think music has got such a wonderful power to kind of bring us closer together and to reconnect us with ourselves and I'm sure a lot of you already know of Earlow Leonard and Steve Cooney but if you 
don't, then go and check them out. But if you do, then you'll know how beautiful their music is. So I was getting ready for that all weekend. And um, I think the link is still on YouTube somewhere. You might be able to find it on the Quiet Lights Music Instagram page. And I have to say for our play to Quiet Lights for putting that gig on as well, as well as the Opera House. The festival festival was supposed to be taking place with a full live programme for the third year running in Cork City. I actually did a live podcast as part of the festival last year. It's episode 65. If you want to check that out, it was on cultural and social entrepreneurship and it was recorded in the lovely plugged record shop. And I know that it's possible that everyone listening to the podcast here isn't a big fan of listening to music or he's maybe going to listen to a different type of music or doing something else completely to reconnect with yourselves and connect with other people around you. I suppose the main thing that I have in my mind at the minute is that I hope you're all doing something to um, look after yourselves and to stay in touch with the people that you love that are around you. Anyway, what else was I going to say? Thanks a million to all the new patrons who have come on board through the Rebel Matters Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Rebel Matters. Vicky and I greatly appreciate all the support that has been coming through Patreon and all of the nice messages that we've been receiving over the last couple of weeks and months ever since Vicky has been on board and in response to all of the new episodes last the last episode that we put out was with Stevie G and it has been the most popular episode to date so far so thanks a million to everyone who shared that episode around and who got in contact with us to let us know you were listening we have been working away in the background with Emmett Walsh or Jowl666 as he's better known on Instagram to get something really special together for the patrons of the show. So I really hope that the next episode is going to be the one where I can announce the details of that lovely little side project that we've had on the go, a wee collaboration with Emmett. And it's quite exciting. So we'll have that ready for you by the next episode. All going well. And if you do want to become a patron of the show, then you can go over to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters, as I was saying, and you can pick one of the three tiers of support and chip into the Rebel Matters Development Fund. Anyway, that's enough from me for now. Let's get stuck into episode 86 with Kate McGrew. Have a listen and get in touch and let us know what you think when you listen to it. Here we go. How did you end up getting into sex work in the first place? So 
That, um, it's funny because there are a few stories really that could be considered the first story, which I think is not uncommon. You know, there was, um, there was somebody that when, um, I was living in New York at the time and I needed more money than I had, <laughs> as has been the long case for the, the case for a long time, I think in New York city. And so I looked on Craigslist and um, I suppose it would have been in the casual encounter section or something. Um, I don't know if, you know if you're familiar with Craigslist, you might be. Um, sure. So I think it was a casual encounter section. And there was, there was an ad for somebody that said he, uh, he wanted to pay somebody to, do, to have tantric sex with. And, and, and I suppose it, it is true that at the time I was sort of um, uh, particularly adventurous. And, uh, so, and so I was kind of up for, uh, up for something like that. I, I just basically responded to the ad. And um, the way that he had made himself sound in the ad, he was like, you know, made himself sound like he was so um, handsome and maybe like out of my league and everything. But he was a bit braggadocious and everything. But I was like, whatever, this sounds innocuous and lovely. Let me have him over to my place. So he, he shows up at my door, like lovely young Indian man holding a bouquet of flowers. And, um, and I, had put on, I had put on like lingerie and he like kind of looked surprised when, when I opened the door and I didn't know why. I was like, oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to be dressed like this or something. Anyways, he takes me into the, the bedroom and like um, lies me down and starts like placing flowers in between each of my toes and everything. It was really, really beautiful. And we had sex. And, um, and then I, I realized then that I hadn't done like the money part up front like you're definitely supposed to it's like the first rule so I sort of extended my hand and then so did he and then I realized that um he thought I was paying him he thought I was paying him and so I took him he got he got kind of defensive and a little bit angry. And I said, no, 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 you have to look at your ad. You have to look at your ad. I mean, this was so long. This was the year 2001. So at this time, you basically could fuck with somebody's ad. You could edit somebody's ad. So I said, look at your ad here. I said, it says that, that you were, were, um, were offering, you know, and, and um, that you were looking for something. So he he pointed at the title and he said, don't you know what this means? You know, I, how I said it was like sort of braggadocious, like, you know, I, he was out of my league or whatever. I did not know the word. I was so embarrassed. Somebody had changed the title to, to uh, an untouchable looking to looking to pay somebody for sex. And I thought that had meant like super fucking studly kind of thing. And he's like, that is, that is not what the word untouchable means. Schooled my naive ass <laughs> right away. That wasn't a great start. No. It's so funny, though, because we just like shook hands and walked away. But I was like, oh, my God, I should have given him money. That was like the wrong thing to do. Now I feel really bad. So there was that. There was that. Um, and then there was also, I was, I was working in Greenpeace. And, you know, I was, I was chugging for Greenpeace. And it was... It was extremely difficult you know you had to sign up three people to 
to give their credit card number to you a day. If you didn't do that for three days in a row, they'd sack you. So, um, so I met a girl there. She came walking in on dancer's legs, a wicked look in her eye. We just like walked straight to each other, just friends right away. And both of us worked that day. And it was just fucking such a shit job. And then in the, on the train home, she was just like, yo, I've just started work at this dungeon. You should come and work with me. You wear sexy clothes, hang out with hot girls all day and beat men up for money. Fucking love it. So never look back. <laughs> and then how did you end up coming to Ireland after that? So I, I came to Ireland then, that was 2001, came to Ireland in 2008 on holiday and also never looked back. I suppose one, one of the questions that, that I wanted to ask you um, was that um, about the sex work scene in Ireland. And one thing in particular yeah. that I wanted to ask you about was, you know the term sex worker, does, like, does that encompass quite a, a wide range of like mm. different things? Mm. Yeah, it certainly does. So sex worker can mean full service in person escorting sex work can mean on street work um sex work can mean stripping sex work can mean um doming or subbing sex work can mean camming sex work can mean um sugar sugar babying as i say uh, it can it can be all those things. Phone so what, sex, what's sex. the like? What's the lay of the land in Ireland at the minute in terms of um, how sex workers are perceived in the law? How people how they can operate as well? I mean, it's unfortunate that um, <laughs> they try so hard to say that we have a decriminalization model now, and it's like you know, sway we worked really hard to get an amendment into the legislation, the Criminal Law Sexual Offenses Act 2017. We worked really hard to get into that, an amendment to decriminalize outdoor workers. So the only amount of decriminalization that came from the bill was something that was added in the end from us pushing it. So, um, so you know, as I said, it's sort of this fallacy that um, that, oh, it's great because it actually... Um, erodes demand, but it makes the workers safe and protected to to reach out if they need to. It's just not true at all. It hasn't been any better for us to so-called move from thinking of us as uh, criminals to thinking of us as victims. It has not improved things for us whatsoever. And, and in fact, it's so... Um, beyond you know it's infantilizing but it's also just dangerous i mean it it really has pushed people away from supports and from reaching out when they do have an issue so you know i'll say that for now (laughs) that that kind of reminds me of something that was brought up in the police podcast that you were a part of i was just listening to it earlier on about the two sort of contrasting um attitudes towards sex work one being that it's kind of empowering for people to yeah. be able to do it and on the other hand then that it's exploitative I mean I guess that kind of depends on the, the individual's personal situation or whatever but um, what's like what do you think about that you know what it is is that it doesn't matter <laughs> it's that it's that it's not the point because I think it's really unfortunate even even you know to hear myself have told you <clears throat> you know, the stories about how I got into to, to sex work, you know, and I didn't, there was one other story where it was a man who, um, who essentially was trying to pimp me out and ended up pulling my hair and trying to throw me out of car. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 
it's, um, I was a happy waitress. You understand me? Like, so, but to, to, to think that we're trying to talk about sex work as something that is uh, empowering or something should be uh, normalized or thought of as any other job is really, really, really missing the mark and not even distracting. It's kind of damaging towards us being able to realize our rights because sex work is, um, I won't say it's a unique a uniquely challenging job, but it's particularly challenging in this racist, misogynist world to be to be um, navigating an industry that is also uh, criminalized and stigmatized. So when you think of any sort of workplace relationships or even gender relationships, the problems in those relationships play out exponentially in the sex industry. So it's kind of what you're saying is that regardless of whether someone thinks they're being empowered through the job that they're doing, that that doesn't matter that because they still have basic rights that need to be respected and protected. Yeah, it's that particularly because the sex industry is um, people can be vulnerable to exploitation because of those reasons I just described. That is why we need to be able to have decriminalization and a flexible legal model that does have regulations that make sense and that match the sort of variance of, um, of, of people's lives and, you know, and sort of take into consideration the way that we people on the margins are living our lives and, and why that has led us into sex work. The law needs to reflect that so that realistically we can engage and we can like work according to the law and then have some sort of infrastructure and recourse to justice. So what is the law at the minute? So the law is that it is illegal to purchase sex and it is illegal to sell sex if you're working with a friend. So it is legal to sell sex if you're um, indoors alone and if you're outdoors. But for example, even though Sway worked hard to get in the decriminalization of outdoor workers, Gardi are still moving women along on the street. They're still um, scaring off clients. And, and, and a lot of them have still been telling the women outside that they're working illegally, even though that's not true. So, uh, Has that relationship with the, with the guards changed over time? Like, is it getting better or is it getting worse? Oh, I mean, we have had some successes that, frankly, were in spite of the law. So we had three workers who, for whom we were the first point of contact when, when they were assaulted, um, robbed, and, and raped by the same man. We were the first point of contact because we were understood to be safe because we were peers. So we did the work in that moment of um, the very delicate work of contacting them to our liaison officers, who then um, did support them with us through um, through taking a case, through bravely going and talking in court. And this man is now serving 20 years in jail, which is astounding, frankly, and very much in spite of the law. So we have been given liaison officers, but um, and we do try to do what we can to, to work with them, but it is, it's a very strained uh, relationship. And the, the issue is that they are being uh, forced to uh, enforce a, a law that, that makes their role of protecting us impossible. 
so, you know, obviously to get to go in and be treating us as victims, but then also to be having to take away their clients or to arrest them for brothel keeping themselves. I mean, it's just unworkable. And do you think that has part of that sort of the reason behind those relationships being strained is, is that partly down to the stigma that's involved with sex work, sex work and like m- maybe how it's perceived in like in a mainstream society as well, as well as the law? Um, yes, yes. Because, you know, again, um, it's interesting that PSNI in the North, their, uh, the relationship between them and sex workers is, is far better. And we had one day of meetings with Angarda Shiokana and then PSNI later in the day. And it was like night and day. I mean, um, the PSNI were, were telling us that they acknowledged that, um, that people engage in sex work on a spectrum of um, circumstance, uh, choice, or coercion. That, that these things, and that they don't exist um, separately, that people move in and out of, 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 of those three on a spectrum anyways. And that, that, um, and that they wanted to try hard while they were trying to um, root out and eradicate actual exploitators and violent people, that they did acknowledge that they wanted to do as little damage um, in in terms of disrupting us or increasing our precarity um, as possible. Whereas in the South, they were kind of like, look, you guys are going to get swept up in this because the fact is uh the majority of people are are absolutely in the sex industry um by force and so that's what we're addressing and it's just it's just a really naive way of 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 looking at how and why people are engaged in sex work the thing is one more thing that they they said to us sorry so in the north they had said we're gonna we're gonna give you three more liaison officers this was in one day in the north we're gonna give you three more liaison officers in the south on the same day they said just so you know operation quest the sort of prostitution crackdown unit from which our liaison officers are operation quest this year is going to gain 75 new members and you need to expect a real ramping up of raids well, the, the the reason that I asked that question, the, the thing that I had in mind was the role that the, the Catholic Church has played right. in this country, and to even talk about sex was so strong, so strongly uh, stigmatized. Yes, in just in every community in Ireland, never mind sex work. Yes. And I'm wondering is the, has that had an impact on how sex workers uh, are perceived, how sex workers perceived, and how it's kind of like dealt with in Irish society. Absolutely, because you know, because again, it's not to say that that sex work is um, is just like any other job, but there also is an imbalance in the fact that when we suffer sort of harassment or abuse in in the sex industry, compared to any other job, people assume it must be vastly more traumatizing and and difficult to navigate than any other job because it's sexual you know sex is something that is that is so um that is so deeply personal to to every person they're they're perceiving anything regarding sex through their own filter of their own personal stories and so it's really hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes it's really hard for people to understand when like we have workers coming to us saying 
we started in sex work because we were working in a hotel and we received more sexual harassment there. We were worked for longer hours for less pay. I, what I deal with in the sex industry is not as bad as what I dealt with in hospitality. It's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that when you're talking about sex. But is being a sex worker inherently a dangerous kind of um, occupation? I mean, as, as I said, the, the worst aspects of, of relationships and that's uh, and of, of power dynamics can play out in, in the sex industry. So again, it's, it's, it's a little bit like I, I'm hesitant to go, oh, sure, but isn't coal mining dangerous? Sure, but isn't being a guard dangerous? Sure, but isn't a nurse being dangerous? Because those things are true, but it also makes people think that what we're saying is, you know, sex work um, is a job like any, any other, any other, any other, any other job, when we more so are just saying we're asking for harm reduction legislation. The fact is people are doing this work and until they have options that are either uh, that, that are either better to them or, or just viable at all, people are going to be in this work. And so we just have to make laws that are marginally better at keeping us safe. When, when did you get involved with Sway? This was 2000. Um, Gosh, it was 2013. I was on Connected. It was a reality show on RTE2. And I, when they hired me for Connected, they hired me as a performer. They didn't know I had just started sex work again in Ireland. So I'm talking to the producer like two weeks in, and, and I'm like, oh, this week I talk about uh, prostitution. <laughs> so there was a big hullabaloo around the office trying to decide what to do, trying to tell me to quit my job, trying to tell me to not talk about it, etc., but um, I, I was like, I'm going to need some support around this. So um, somebody put me in touch with Wendy Lyon, a, a lawyer, you know, solicitor. And, um, and she put me in touch with Sway. And once it was, oh, God, there's an organization agitating for, for our rights. Well, give me some of that. So because I was already on TV talking about it, it made sense for me to keep talking about it. Have you had varied reactions to like when you're talking about this stuff? Oh, my gosh. I love Ireland. I think it's because <laughs> people here, I mean, I, I don't know what they're saying behind my back, but overwhelmingly, I have had very few, you know, face-to-face interactions of people being antagonistic towards me, you know. But, um, like, one of them was a woman, very drunk, she's probably in her 60s, and a table of women uh, clearly recognized me and were saying something, and she came up to me, actually, like, she looked like she was going to punch me. And her friends, like, held her back. And then I just I said, oh, was there something you wanted to say to me? And I just sort of smiled at her. And I think she was so drunk then that she kind of became confused. And she just leaned forward and like, planted a kiss on my cheek. Did she want to give you a kiss all the time? Maybe. Or did she change maybe halfway? Like, maybe it was just like really unbridled, aggressive passion. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had anyone kind of like squirming in their seat when, when you start talking about um, things got to do with sex? Yeah, you know what's funny though? Again, for the same reason, it's like, I don't, we're not asking for like, sex is, look, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, we're the laborers in that sort of section of society. It's not to say that we don't, you know, that it's not like, um, I sort of, a, a bit wholesome sometimes. It's not to say, or, or just a bit, just sort of normal, whatever. It is those things, but it's just like, 
But it is like what we love about sex is that it is exciting and edgy and kind of blurs the lines of everything. So I don't mind when when people ask me what I, I tell them. It's a little bit, hmm, because, you know, you see people sometimes trying to go, oh, that's okay. That's totally normal. And it's like, it's okay. We're both sort of a little bit excited. How do I said that? <laughs> we don't have to act like we're not. Yeah. People that's- in Ireland are so polite. I love it. kind of like maybe to put the the kind of therapeutic thing like to the side but like sure. i guess what i what i kind of had in mind was that uh, sure. we kind of live in a society where everything's kind of like we tend to want to keep the exterior really kind of like clean and good looking and like that's yeah. what the way that other people perceive us but then um i guess i mean there are things that people are probably would love to get up to that they can't because if they're like, if fucking those people that I work with know all that shit that I want to be doing in the privacy of my home, then I would be like, they, my reputation would be destroyed or I could lose my job or they would think that I was a terrible person. And, mm. um, it was just actually, I was just watching, um, a clip mm-hmm. before we got on the chat here, just you, about mm. you, you talking about the, the show that you had, the hip opera. And oh yeah that kind of stuff which like one was this, it? Which um one which clip uh it was just was it? Do you remember? oh no i can't remember i can't remember actually was it hookers do it standing up you were dressed in like a kind of like a it was like a metallic swimsuit or something like that with metallic big boots or i think so something awesome. like that i don't know i can't, can't even can't even think i can't even describe what it was but... <laughs> <laughs> what are you wearing but <laughs> but you know the way like um that's like dead sexy and stuff and that's obviously made it to connect people with their their own sex, sexiness or whatever yeah. um yeah. or maybe that's maybe, maybe that's not what the purpose is but like yeah um, yeah yeah i kind of thought that we could maybe talk about that a little bit and open up that kind of can of worms yeah yeah it. absolutely yeah it's interesting because um it's something that i'm grappling with all the time when i write and when i create uh songs or scenes that um you know like every artist we'd be trying to figure stuff out as we write and it helps us process and hone our thinking to 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 write about it so i suppose inevitably um i write about uh sex and i think and 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 yeah and female sort of empowerment and i think i always have i mean i've been a feminist my whole life you know what i mean so, um, and yeah, and performing is all I'm trying to do is share what I know, share what I'm curious about and, and see if other people can, can work with me in the curiosity to, to, to figure out something or move in our analysis. Um, and also to just share with people what I'm feeling inside. You know, I think for a lot of artists, they're feeling kind of giddy. They're feeling a sort of excitement a lot, and they just want to to share it. They want others to feel that with them. And so that's a lot what I'm what I'm doing on stage. I mean, I love Ireland so much. I you know how much I love it because it is hard for me to live in this chilly climate. Like I love being scantily clad. I feel good when I can just be in like a bathing suit, just moving around. It just makes me happy to have loose limbs. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has been a really delightful thing for me to have people come up to me after gigs and, and seem a bit 
opened up and and buzzing. How has the COVID pandemic affected um like the different kind of yeah. shows or shows that we're involved in and also in general, like how has it affected um the sex work industry? Right, right. So um I was we were doing a series called uh Soundhouse Sundays, which was seven gigs on Sundays in Soundhouse in Dublin. And uh, they started with a panel discussion, moved on to a comedian, moved on to a, a musician, and then I would do a set as well. And every night had a different theme. One, one night was the law, one night was uh, trans people, one night was migrants, one night was men's issues, one night was an art installation. Um, and then uh, there was a night of, of disability rights. The housing rights night was canceled due to COVID. So that was the first uh, disappointment that, that we had there uh, due to COVID. And then my show, um, Horrorcore, a musical comedy, the new show that I'm working on with my uh, group, Lady Grew and the New Crew, was to be in Dublin Fringe. And then they had to make Dublin Fringe, you know, a quarter of the size that it, that it, that it was. So, um, so mine wasn't in the show, wasn't in Dublin Fringe this year, but it will basically be a bit more sort of like furthering under construction and uh, and hopefully up again next year. I mean, as soon as we can. I mean, it's it's um, it's daunting. The, the gigs thing is the hardest thing for me, for sure. It's the it's the lack of dance floor. That's what is making my soul cry for sure. So that's been really hard, but that is something that people can look forward to. Uh, meanwhile, I'm dancing a lot on, um, you know, on on camera. So, <laughs> so that's that for now. And just playing my keyboard and and singing and keeping it moving along during COVID. It's been um, really hard for sex workers because while the government was like, stay home, stay home, lockdown, you have to stay home, quarantine, you should stay home. Here, we'll give you a little bit of money. Sorry. Here, we'll give you a little bit of money. Oh, no, sex workers, there's no realistic avenue for you to get this money. Not eligible for PUP. Um, you know, we crowdfunded a hardship fund. We're able to give 26,000 euros to, to sex workers in two little installments. But, you know, it's pretty much like a couple grocery trips. So um, so we found out that the sort of leading, um, or we'll call the mainstream sort of prohibitionist organization that works with uh, sex workers, they were given emergency funding from the Department of Justice. We got in touch with the Department of Justice and were told ex ex explicitly that for as long as we talk about sex work as work instead of as inherent exploitation of vulnerable people, that they were not going to be funding us. That they take their line from that that um, from the, from the turn off the red light campaign. They take their line from Angara Shiokana saying prostitution is inherently linked with trafficking, and, and until we refer to, to to prostitution as inherent exploitation, no funding for us. And and this is like you know. The Department of Justice should not making funding or policy decisions based on ideology. They should be making it based on outcomes. So, um, so really disastrous. Yes, work decreased. Of course, it did. So, for all of these uh, proponents of the end demand model, well, we got a little dry run of it, and it was disastrous because there were no viable alternatives for people, and because then clients, when clients were saying, "If you don't see me now," because 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 then clients, there were still a few clients. You don't see me now, 
you, I won't see you after the pandemic or clients offering twice the amount of rates to try and get people to come out. A lot of clients did disappear, not completely. Now the numbers are back up to basically the same. I mean, people have been forced to work in the middle of the plague. So that's obviously a part of what potentially would be kind of um, better legislation and better protection for sex workers would be like to kind of be able to somehow give more recognition to, to sex workers so that if, like, say, they had more recognition, they might have been entitled to get more support, financial supports during the, the lockdown and all? Absolutely. Like, you know, obviously, ideally, we, we would all be registered as loan contractors, whatever, loan traders, sole traders, uh, registered to pay our taxes, et cetera. Um, not that many of us are, you know. Um, and so, yeah, the more legality, the more people can do that. And, and then they would be eligible for, for you know, emergency payments beyond, uh, be, which would be really helpful, but beyond that, um, for the Department of Justice in the middle of a, of a global crisis to throw up this m- moral barrier for us is just really insidious and should really, really uh, alarm people because they were giving emergency supports in the form of money to many different organizations, they would not give it to the very laborers who did the most intimate labor of anybody in society. Like we more than anybody should have been dug out. Are there countries that have... No pun intended. Are, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> are, there, are there countries that, um, that have got better, better infrastructures for, for sex workers? New Zealand. Like New Zealand was able to access... Um, access financial support during the pandemic. Now the New Zealand model really falls short because you cannot get a license to work legally if you're a migrant. And that would be, it would be, it would, (laughs) it would be not great at all if that's what was on the table for us here because so many workers are migrants. Um, So you know, we, we would need an even more flexible model than New Zealand, but it is decriminalization. It's flexible. It's basically a flexible legalization. So it's not overly regulated and therefore people can get the license. They can apply for what ended up being the main way of working is how people already work. It's two to four people out of one apartment. It's, and they're all, you know, sharing the space together. There's nobody managing the space. They're just living and working together. And um, is the you mentioned the migrants are do do things like the direct provision system? Um, is that kind of a part of the the sex industry kind of network in Ireland? So we have been into direct provision a couple of times, and it's a particularly challenging one just because of um, of the whole situation in in direct provision, and also again the sort of um, the sort of lack of nuance in terms of looking at people's situations there and why they're being forced into making the choices that they're making. If people are are um, essentially living in really dire poverty there, no wonder um, when, when people are offering them money for sex outside, they're, they're, they're taking them up on it. You know, we have heard about uh, potentially, again, this... Um, mainstream um, prohibitionist organization 
about them opening a new wing, um, a new unit of direct provision for sex trafficking victims. And, um, you know, it, it makes us very nervous because this organization, they're called Uruhama, we, they have never shown to truly address our needs. And, um, and they compound our problems for fighting for criminalization. They compound our problems by not giving out condoms. Um, and uh, they compound our problems by not understanding people's agencies or the spectrum of you know, choice, circumstance, and coercion that we've been talking about. Not only that, but three people on the board of Ruhama currently are nuns that are from orders that were running Magdalene laundries into the 90s. And these are the people that are now going to be opening a new direct provision. And we're supposed to, to feel safe that they're going to deal sensitively with people who have experiences of trafficking. Oh, I don't think so. It, would, is it right to say that like, there's kind of like, um, I think that I'm picking up from the stuff that you're saying is that the sex trafficking and sex workers are kind of put into the same category, but could, could be drastically different in terms of how they ended up in sex work in the first place. And it's also, it's also kind of more to the meat of the matter to look at the fact that trafficking is linked to sex work, the same way that trafficking is linked to farming, the same way that trafficking is linked to, um, to again, to hospitality. There are, you know, the fishing industry in Ireland is rife with trafficking victims. Um, for sure, uh, more so than in the sex industry. We work closely with Migrant Rights Centre Ireland, and so we've we've seen their work. And um, so it's it's more that to acknowledge that trafficking exists on the far end of the spectrum of exploitation that can and does occur in every industry. So when you're looking at an industry that is quasi legal, then you're looking at a lot of people. Um, who do not have our best interest in mind and, in fact, want to take advantage of the fact that we don't have legal avenues. So somebody says, oh, I can, you, you're having trouble you know, getting over to Ireland. You're having trouble whilst in Ireland. I can help you with that. And because there are no legal or um, uh, alternatives or sort of checked out alternatives, people are having to turn to, to engaging with criminals. And that kind of makes it much, much more likely for people to report attacks and stuff like that when they do happen because they're kind of working off the radar as such? Um, more, more, unlikely. Like, sorry, more unlikely. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing too. And in, in, in other industries, it's the workers themselves who um, are able to see and report abuses or who may even be able to unionize. But with the sex industry, it makes it impossible for us to do that. It makes it impossible for clients to, to do that because they'd be admitting to a crime. I mean, this law passed three years ago, and in that time, Ireland has fallen two tiers in, in a global assessment of trafficking. Like globally, Ireland has a very bad record for trafficking, and that has gotten worse. That has gotten, and, and we had Gardi tell us in a meeting that it has dried up intel for them in the past three years. The distancing of us from them, and you know, in the sex work, sex, sex workers industry, is it yeah. more common for people to be working on their own, kind of independently, or is it more common for people to work, say, as part of of a group? Yeah. Um, 
So it's such a mixed bag. And part of what's frustrating is that it's hard to know exactly because we're a really hard group to, to research because we're having to hide, um, but also because you know there isn't a lot of appetite in it. There, there's a there's a real need for for people who fruitlessly want to stamp out the sex industry to be able to talk about it the way they want to talk about it, which might not be connected to reality. So we know that people do work a lot by themselves, but people do share premises a lot as well. They certainly do, which is understandable. It's safer and it's cheaper. That does happen a lot. It, it would be, it would be um, understandable to expect that it would look a lot in terms of what workspaces look like, like it does in, in New Zealand, where it would be you know, up to four people working together in, in a space. How did you sort of um, come about in your thinking? Like, what was the trajectory for you regards to thinking about sex work and what moved you? I mean, I, I moved as from a young woman in terms of how I thought about it as well. So was there a moment for you that you started to learn more? You know, I think that the the purpose of the podcast, when it's, I started it in mid-2017, and I know there's two of us, there's myself and Vicky, who you were in contact with, but right. the I guess the origins of the podcast was always to meet people who I, I was interested in talking to and yes. also given a platform to people to tell their stories yeah. that might not necessarily be very fairly represented or widely represented in the kind of mainstream media. And yeah. I mean, I guess it is one of those industries that's underground. And uh, I know like even looking back at the, the 80 or so episodes that we have done before this, there are a lot of people who are um, involved in projects or doing things that are, um, you know, kind of like deserve to be spoken about and opened up yes. and that I think like more people need to know about. And I think that's kind of how I ended up kind of thinking about kind of us doing this episode together in the first place. Oh God, that's great. Because here's the thing. It's like, I think there's not in general right now in the world, there is this really frightening sort of, um, sort of like uh sort of strengthening of an idea that like we should only talk to people who we agree with and that anybody that disagrees with us or questions any part of it is surely well then they're my enemy and everything and i think it's just like i don't know what we're playing at with this kind of um with this kind of way of thinking because um it's surely surely the, the people we need to be talking to the most are the people that have questions in their mind surely that's the other thing with the podcast like it's such a wide kind of the topics are really wide ranging from week to week so I find that and it's been even true for me as well like I end up speaking to people who I, I might not necessarily have ever gotten to speak to um yeah. other than the fact that we sat down to do a little podcast chat but then I know that a lot of the people who listen to the show um say this week it may be someone who is really familiar with the sex workers industry in Ireland and then next week the topic might be about something completely different that they've never had any experience about and then right. they they're kind of get get exposed to that and yeah. just kind of like widens the the range of stuff that, yes. that that we're talking about which I think is maybe a little bit connected with uh, what you just said about only talking to people that you agree with and Ooh. only maybe learning more about the stuff that you already know about mm. it's kind of like so I think that one of our kind of like goals for the podcast is to fuck shit up a little bit and sure. kind of open that up. So um, this episode is definitely going to do that. Absolutely. Here, are you wearing a Connelly's of Love shirt? Yeah. Oh my gosh, adore. <laughs> oh my gosh, adore. How did you even do that? 
because I, I gig there. No I way. Door. Of <laughs> two, of my, two of my friends are getting married there next week. I'm good friends with Sam. Oh, no way. Yeah, hey, Sam and Julie, they were just up in court last week. I will, of course. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> it's a small, like Ireland is tiny, isn't it? Like once you kind of like figure out the different people that you all know. I tell you, I fucking love it. In America, everybody thought I was sort of a, you know, a bit much or something. I came here and was like, oh my God, like just the crack. I was like, everybody's like as mental as I am. Yeah. And stuff in group, you know, as, as uncomfortable it is, as it is. Yeah. Um, here, another, I have another question for you. But yeah, you know, sure. so for all these different conversations that you had and you're like doing interviews, I'm sure like quite often um, about uh, about your work with Sway and all the other stuff yeah. that you're doing. Is there ever a question that when you're sitting there, you're like, I wish they would ask me this question? Ooh, let's see. I wish they would ask me this. <laughs> That's a good one. Golly. You know what? I think the reason why I can't think of anything is because if that were the case, I'd find a way to say it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so it mustn't be yeah it mustn't be so yeah all right sweet <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. good so you've probably already said it then i'd say so i yeah. that tends to be my mo yeah tends that's to be my mo unreal um well sweet then um thanks a million for doing the podcast thank you so much thank you so much and just to, to to do a few more if i can just like linking things for sway it's um you know, info at sway.eu. Just, I mean, it's like, thank God the internet just put in Sway and you can find a way to contact us. You know, it's American Kate on, oh, American Kate, oh, H American Kate is the handle on Twitter if you want to book me. And also tell Kneecap, I'd love to collaborate with them. We get together <laughs> you, and spit on each other. <laughs> you just told them yourself. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. Shout out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sweet um all right then thanks million oh no thank you so much uh, stay in touch and let us know um how we can boost all of the wonderful work that you're doing as well definitely thanks a million enjoy the rest Have of your day have a great day bye, bye.